Today, we are reaching back into our archives to share some of our favorite stories with women over 40. Each of these women has started something special, and we wanted to make sure our new listeners didn't miss out on hearing these conversations. Old or new to the podcast, we hope each of these stories inspires you to consider your own possibilities. Enjoy. Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty for Her. Today, you guys have the distinct pleasure of listening to Demetra Davidson's story of how she launched Indeed Labs. And we're going to talk a little bit more this season about retail specifically and get into Demetra's story and decision making about how she chose to take her company in the specific direction that she did. Demetra, thanks for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. What a joy. I know. It's so fun. And all the way from Toronto. What a beautiful introduction. I have I have a feeling all the goods are coming as soon as you start talking. So tell us a little bit for context sake about Indeed Labs. Indeed Labs is a global skincare brand. Uh, when I say global, I mean we have global distribution. We are a target solution skincare brand. Uh, we started, our model was to bring really high quality innovation and good quality products and make them accessible uh, to consumers everywhere. Um, and with that in mind, we really looked at our formulas, the results that uh, we wanted to achieve with those formulas. We led first with listening to consumers' needs. And the, the the brand was really born from this marriage of a bunch of different concepts. Like, why can I not really find good quality skincare in a mass market? Why am I spending so much money to buy something? Uh, you know, why am I looking at airbrush models, uh, celebrity endorsements, mm. um, things that are unattainable uh, to achieve results that I want? And why am I spending so much money and not getting what I want? So all of these ideas were sort of, um, looked at as we evolved what the um, what the brand was going to look like. And it was really, you know, we led with this real results, real people. I mean, that is so common these days. But if we try to think back 11 years ago, when we barely even knew what social media was, there wasn't, you know, a skincare that was available and accessible to consumers everywhere, especially with, you know, good results. And then there's the other component is that we also wanted to make skincare that was not harmful to consumers. And so that's always been our model. That's the ethos of our brand. Um, And that's really what's led me to this day, 11 years later. That's amazing. You said something that I'm curious about. I think you said the word skincare that was targeted. Tell me what you mean. Yeah. So we were listening to consumers, you know, in the past, think back, you know, uh, you would look for skincare and it was a three-step regime. Here's your cleanser, your toner, your moisturizer. 
How old are you? Was a typical question. Uh, is your skin dry or, you know, and although some of those elements obviously still play into, you know, what you need as a consumer, what we wanted to do was empower consumers. We wanted some people to be able to go, okay, this is how my skin is looking. This is how I'm feeling. What do I need? And then we wanted to give them targeted solutions. So we wanted to say, if, for example, if you feel like you're losing volume or if you feel like your skin is dehydrated, we were going to give consumers results. And so that's what I mean by targeted problem solution. We also were one of the first brands that was, um, that was bold enough to a, you know, lead with these strong colors and a category that was very, uh, sort of muted for a long time. Uh, but also we decided to educate consumers. We told them that in this product is hyaluronic acid. This product is retinol. This is vitamin C. And that was a risk because A, people didn't know what retinol was. B, things like hyaluronic acid, consumers 11 years ago used the word acid as a very bad thing. So, sure. you know, we we really decided to just be disruptive, but not in a bad way, in a way that would get consumers to think about it and empower themselves to create results for themselves based on their own personal needs. Well, and I have to believe that the timing is also such that consumers wanted to know more about what they were putting on their skin, what they were putting in their body. They were paying more attention to these things and taking some of those things into their own hands. So by educating the consumer, you become a brand that is building sort of this relationship with them and in turn loyalty. Right. And we want us to be honest. And that's why we use the name Indeed, because Indeed for us meant in truth or in fact. And so there was many different elements that we looked at. But basically, at the end of the day, it was really about leading with the consumer. And although, uh, you know, there's a lot of that today, traditionally, and, you know, the world has changed considerably in 11 years, yeah. wasn't yeah. really the case back then. So uh, so that was our model. And, and it's really helped us to, to, you know, have this amazing journey. What about this kind of category came from maybe your own personal uh, story? Like, why did you enter? This is a really hard category to enter. What was it about skincare that you said, I'm the gal for the job? I'm the one that wants to disrupt this space. Yeah, well, it's interesting, the timing. We talked earlier about our kids, and I have a, a young daughter. Her name is Sophia, and she is. 14 years old. So Soph was a baby. I had experienced some hyperpigmentation from uh, post-pregnancy and I had gone to my dermatologist and he had asked, uh, he had prescribed uh, hydroquinone and being the kind of person that I am, I, I want to do my deep dive, my research. I want to make sure that whatever I'm using is not harmful. And I was really nervous to use this prescription strength hydroquinone. And so off I went to my local drugstore where I buy bought my daughter's diapers and I couldn't find, you know, skincare there that actually would speak to, am I going to get results for this hyperpigmentation? You know, I was getting those types of questions. Well, are you dry? Are you ooh, hyperpigmentation? Mm. You know, so nobody could help me. And so that was really, you know, one of the big elements that I wanted to have, you know, a product that wasn't going to be harmful or ingredients that weren't harmful, but I wanted ingredients that worked, you know, deflated that, wow, is this the only thing 
I'm going to be able to use this ingredient that kind of sounds toxic to me. And, you know, dermatologist prescribed, it's kind of harsh. And what about long term? You know, so I was worried about that kind of stuff. What about nursing mothers? You know, what about them? You know, so there, and then it, and then it became bigger than me, you know, because at some point the vulnerability had me spending hundreds of dollars on, uh, you know, skincare without sure. results. Uh, and I came from the world of luxury goods. So I understood, you know, I, my, my early career, I worked at Tiffany and company Canada. And so I already knew the value in branding and buying something where there's a lot of cachet and celebration around that. I, I got that, but I just didn't understand that in skincare. So why am I spending ridiculous amounts of money in something that's a personal thing in my bathroom on my vanity? Yeah. I, I'm not taking this around and I'm not bragging to people that I've got this expensive product. So I really just, the connection to that has to be results. And that has was to be. the light yeah. bulb, you know? And there has been you know, luxury uh, beauty and skincare goods that we have invested in. And it's been, you know, if we could show off the insides of our medicine cabinets, uh, I think many of us would. But at some point, those things become just empty promises. And I think the point you're making is it was important to make sure that the investment, because that's what it is, yielded results. I'm not suggesting that these brands don't have good product. What I'm suggesting is it opened up for me more of a question of, well, what about people that don't have access to that? What about accessibility? You know, does the whole world feel as vulnerable as I do right now? And, and when I look at that person in those photos, am I ever going to look like that? You know, so it became a very big, a bigger scenario, which lend did itself to discussion and people around me that we all were like, let's launch a brand then, you know? And I was like, Whoa, nobody's like, what, what? No, you can't go up against (laughs) these massive players. How are we going to do this? And so it was a lot of exploring and and the timing and it was really good and disruption. Like we really disrupted the market. We led with a product that isn't even a, a treatment product. It's called Nano Blur. And it's, you know, a cult favorite to this day. Most big, big makeup artists around the world know it. It's, it's in their, you know, their cases and they use it on celebrities and on photo sets. And, um, but really we led with a product that gave you instant results because we wanted to show consumers something that they could grasp on and then come in with the other products and go, and these ones all do results too. You just have to work a little bit harder at it because you right. have to do this for 30, 45 days. So anyway, that was kind of our model. There was a lot of collaboration at the beginning to go, you know, uh, how do we do this? That You just said something that I feel like I really want to make sure our listeners are hearing, which is that you led with a product that gave instant results. Mm-hmm. So you led with, some, even though you had all this other stuff in your wheelhouse and you knew you were capable of producing it and putting it out in the market and that it would work, you also knew that in this season that we're all living in where everything is a, a very high turnover in terms of giving a brand a chance. Like you've got one chance as a brand for that first impression, right? Yeah. And that you did it so strategically in the product, not just in the marketing, but in the physical product that you were offering. I think that's so so much wisdom to that, but also one I think is really important for people to hear who may be putting out a product that takes some time. It takes some time to get to that place, even if it's information. If you're giving people, if your services to provide information, make sure 
that one of the things you're providing is information that can have an impact on their bottom line or on their audience or whatever it is they're, they're focused on quickly. I really appreciate that. Yeah, you have to know the why. And yeah. then you need to hear, you know, it, it, and sometimes, you know, obviously we have to do that every day with our business. I'm putting products in the market all the time. There's many different yeah. variables that you must consider. But obviously at the beginning when there's a lot riding on it until you actually gain that fan base, I find sometimes that consumer you know, consumer focus really works and, and you don't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on it. Just, you know, get your friends together or get people yeah. from different walks of life and come together one night and say, what do you think of this? And what do you think of this? And what do you think of this? And that was a lot of what we did at the beginning. And they'll tell the truth. If you create the space for them to tell the truth, they'll tell the truth because they want something that works for them as well. What was the business model when you first launched Indeed Labs? So we started small and we, again, you know, and that's uh, to my point, using uh, consumer focus groups. Basically, our business model was to start local, uh, mm-hmm. see the response for the consumer. So we we literally started off in a kiosk in, uh, you know, one of the malls here, um, one of our bigger malls to have that foot traffic and to see how consumers responded to those instant results and got their feedback before we jumped in uh, full, uh, you know, full throttle. But at the beginning, it was like, test it out and let's see how, how we make out. And, but quickly it resonated with consumers. And, and the other part of it was because I mentioned a couple of times now that we weren't going to be using airbrush model celebrity endorsements. We see a lot of that sort of realness coming in today with, you know, applications like TikTok, for example, but that wasn't something that was happening back then. So the fact that we're actually taking before and after images of real consumers and my entire business model to this day is always, uh, you know, pretty much a community of people that, so we don't really have, we just don't, we not, not really, we don't have all of our marketing is all based on real consumers and their feedback. Yeah. It's obvious as soon as you go to the website. When I knew that we were going to be talking some weeks ago, I, of course, went into Indeed Labs and was playing around and on your social. And it's very clear that that's, um, you're intentional about picking people or using people that sort of demonstrate all different walks, all different skin types. And again, to your point that are, they're real because at the end of the day, that transparency whether it's in social media or, or embedded in the DNA of our brand, we want to know that that's going to give us those real yeah. results. Yeah, um, so to, to be clear, you know, we knew right from the beginning that we were going to be a mass market brand. So we didn't open up a little local shop. We went kiosk right. in the mass market. So that's why we decided to go into a mall where we got a lot of traffic. It's a mass consumer. We can get good feedback from them. So we knew what our model was going to be. We just didn't scale up as fast. So I just want to make sure for, you know, that's okay. that they understand can you that. Yeah. Dig into that a little bit. So why the kiosk versus a, a, a traditional brick and mortar? Like what about that would have kind of weighed you down? Mm-hmm. Well, because a traditional brick and mortar, you're not going to get the same foot traffic. Um, We obviously weren't scaling up to list in a mass retailer yet because A, they didn't know our brand, so they're not going to take a chance on us. We're going up against the giants that own this real estate for many years. So what other option would we have had to be exposed in a mass market retail environment 
and have a lot of consumers that could give us that type of feedback. So that was kind of what we landed on. It was affordable. We didn't have to scale up as fast. It was our way of doing a little bit of consumer research as we, you know, sort of surveyed the market and got the feedback, got our marketing results, got our people to advocate for us and all of that. And so it gave us an opportunity to get our feet wet without scaling up immediately. Yeah. When you knew from the beginning that the kiosk was the way to go, where did you think you wanted to land? Like, what was the vision of Indeed Labs? Was it always direct to consumer? Was it to be in some mass um, retail chain? What was it? No, it was going to be mass retail chain. You know, 11 years ago, believe it or not, consumers were not buying skincare online. So direct to consumer... Uh, you know, was definitely going to be there, but we did not have high hopes at the time for conversion online. It just wasn't happening. You had to, here we're leading with a brand that has the words hyaluronic acid on their, on their, on their packaging or retinol or vitamin C, or people had no idea. They wouldn't even know how to use it. And so, uh, yeah, our, our wish was to be obviously, you know, listed with, retailers all over the world. That was the other thing. We wanted to consider all consumers, not just this one consumer in our local market. And so, and, you know, again, we formulated with all consumers in mind and we still do. And so that, you know, that was our hope for the future, but we obviously needed to establish a name for ourselves. And so bring us a little bit up to date, because when you talk about 11 years ago, it's hard to imagine that you were on the front end of you know, real using real models or on the front end of being able to put on your labels that you're using these very active ingredients that we now know more about. So now where are you? Where is Indeed Labs in terms of you're, you're both direct to consumer and in retail chains, correct? Yes. Retail chains all over the world, um, direct to consumer with other e-retailers as well. So on top of our own direct yeah. consumer. And so we are, you know, our brand is accessible globally. Uh, different, you know, sort of different outlets, but whether it's through mass retail, we just launched, for example, in Hong Kong, in Manning's in 230 doors in Hong Kong. Wow. Congratulations. Brick and mortar. So from my perspective in this industry, and this does not apply to all businesses and all business owners, but from my perspective in the skincare world, you do need, I believe, a balance of brick and mortar as well as, uh, you know, direct to consumer. I think it's a must. Uh, in our minds still, credibility is established when a consumer sees a brand on a shelf and especially in the mass market. And so that is a very important model for us. You know, convenience of direct to consumer is fantastic. There are, you know, bigger, you know, uh, e-com outlets out there these days, not to mention them all, but that, you know, convenience and uh, time, uh, you know, sensitivity is really, really important. So um, I think it's a good balance for us of of brick and mortar as well as direct to consumer. And you mentioned that the the brick and mortar is still so essential. What do you think has changed about brick and mortar in terms of how we utilize it? It used to be that we, that was the only place to go shop, but now it's a little different. What would you say is different about that? Um, That's a tough one because brick and mortar is not you know, we're not comparing apples to apples everywhere. So, you know, as we know, a lot of retail outlets through COVID were not able to sustain themselves. Others exploded because of different regulations closed here, open there. But basically in a nutshell, I think how it has changed is, well, in my business, I don't see that mass retailers have pivoted fast enough. 
Mm. They're, they're not understanding, I think, entirely the, the very diverse needs of consumers. Uh, consumers now are you know also used to buying online. So what does that mean? Uh, and it's taking, a, it's taking a little bit of time to catch up and understand. And sure. so brands like ours that have mass distribution, but we're small enough that we're that that I have a pulse on every aspect of my business. We can pivot and change strategy, and also help and educate our retailers how to do it better, how to do better for consumers. So, you know, what are the challenges that you're facing? Is supply chain right now is a big issue. So, is yeah. that going to continue to evolve as a problem for consumers? Um, and how do we evolve and, and change along with the needs of very, very demanding needs of consumers these days? So I think that uh, the changes have happened. I think the changes will continue to happen. It's a very, it would be very naive for me to pass a judgment on that was how it was then. This is how it is now, because I always say that our world is ever changing every single day. And what what I can say is that um, being able to kind of learn from your daily experiences right now, if you're in mass retail, is very, very important and to change strategy. Yeah. And I think you made an important um, point in saying like, because you're a global product, everybody around the globe is experiencing post-pandemic or even still in pandemic very differently and how they respond to it from their you know, from the politics of that all the way to the consumer habits around that. So you, as the leader of this brand, really have to be nimble, not only in looking at the company as a whole, but in looking at the company relative to each market. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You'll see in some cases, you'll see hoarding. In other cases, you'll see, you know, not no consumption at all. Some, you know, some markets, People are very focused on skincare in other markets. Everyone's out buying purses and shoes. And, you know, it really isn't at all predictable anymore. And that's sort of our reality. Um, Do I try to plan my business? Absolutely. You have to. But feeding the information of, you know, especially what we see on the ground in a timely fashion and supporting our retailers so that they can also get it right. um, So that, you know, and again, for the benefit of our consumers down the road, you know, our retailers, in the past, they, they they might spend a long time deciding what goes on that shelf. Consumers walk down shelves or walk down aisles in stores and they don't realize there's a huge infrastructure here of a lot going on to get you that product on the shelf. So even just, you know, educating, you know, retailers and consumers about the difference in supply chain today or even our carbon footprint and what, you know, overconsumption mm. is doing to our world and all that kind of stuff. I like to feel that I'm on top of a lot of those you know, issues and try to do the best I can to pivot. Because again, I always, you know, and I said this earlier, I lead with a consumer in mind. Like that was sort of the business that we, the promise, that was why we did this because we were going to do this for, you know, the needs of consumers. And so everybody says that obviously, but it doesn't always play out that way. Sure. And and you can usually tell at some point the brand is in conflict with itself if it's not truly consumer driven. So it, it pops up. You mentioned your stint at Tiffany. Tell us a little bit about what you did in the past that sort of has prepared you for this entrepreneurial journey. 
Yeah, that was a, you know, working at Tiffany was great. I was fresh out of school. I have a background in uh, business um, and finance, as well as I went back and did an HR special specialist. Um, so I think that all of those elements, Tiffany Company is a great, great brand. They really, the company itself steeped in history. So first, like just learning about the um, you know, the, the, the unbelievable force, you know, in branding, you know, and that mm-hmm. was sort of my first education in terms of what a brand really means, having the protecting of a brand and a brand identity. This yeah. company did it phenomenally well. Also, that quality assurance and that promise to the consumer. It was a great company to work for and a, an amazing infrastructure. I, I I actually ran their corporate sales division here in Canada. Uh, I worked there for nine years, so I kind of worked in a bunch of different aspects of the business. I loved every second of it. It was really glamorous and a very different world. And I say to people a lot, you know, I, I knew that I would be a business owner one day. I just thought it was going to be and fashion or jewelry. I didn't think it was going to be in skincare. And that was because of the joy and the great celebration around uh, jewelry, you know, and the happiness around it. And so, yeah, my foundation there was a great one, a solid, solid foundation, an amazing company. I really enjoyed my time there. I think often people hear these interviews and it sort of feels like everybody's an overnight success. And I always like to remind them like, no, this, you know, all the experience that this person brought into this company that they're now building is a part of that journey. And then the journey itself, like long before anybody knew who Indeed Labs was, you were hammering away, trying to come up with everything from the formula to what we see now. Who did you bring along with you? Like, what were some of the people, who were some of the people rather, that you surrounded yourself with once you knew this is an area that I want to sort of, you know, make my stamp or plant uh, plant myself? Who were the people that you said, okay, I know what I bring. I know what Demetra brings to the table, but I've got these gaps. Um, our general manager today, Melanie, she was my assistant before, um, you know, Deed really took off. She's been with me right from the beginning. She's wow. really phenomenal. She as you know, also a working mom herself. Um, she, we, together, we, you know, we faced a lot of challenges at the beginning. And so she's always been here. She evolved from being, you know, somebody who was sort of my right hand to somebody who manages the business now. And so she teaches me a lot about, you know, bigger aspects in our supply chain operations, for example. But as it relates to uh, our chemist has been on staff from the beginning mm-hmm. and we, we, you know, unlike uh, some brands, we actually do our, have our own lab and we, you know, produce our own formulas. And so uh, being educated, working very closely with our chemist as well. Those are the people that were sort of here from the beginning. Um, and then, uh, you know, I've, I've, ca- I really pride myself on growing really strong teams and loyal people and also mentoring and uh, creating, you know, an environment where people can learn and grow. And because we are different than other big brands in the market. And because the industry, you know, again, there was not, there was really not an opportunity for little brands like ours at the time. And so it was hard to find an area or or people with a specialty or expertise. So I really brought in people that I feel like all around me shadowed me and got into my head. And together we, um, you know, we really committed to the ethos and the the mission of our brand and, and we grew together. And so I, you know, I didn't necessarily bring people in as much as I brought people up, I would say. 
Oh, wow. I like that. And I feel like when you do that, there's um, an inherent loyalty that those people feel towards the brand because they were part of those building blocks and they've grown up with the company. And who wants to leave that? Like everybody wants to see something come to fruition and see that success and be a part of that success. So, Right. And, and I um, say to people, isn't it amazing that you can actually see that your hard work is in this brand. You can walk down the aisle with your friends and go, you know, I picked that color for that yeah. package or yeah. together with Demetra, we chose that name or, you know, it was my idea. And I love, you know, I don't have an ego in business. I want this to be successful for everybody. And so uh, I think it's really nice, like I said, to see people thrive and grow and be proud of their work. It's, it's interesting that you say that because I have to say, in so in doing so many interviews, the through line that I often hear is that. And people say it in different ways. Sometimes they refer to their ego. Sometimes they refer to the team building. Sometimes ref they refer to their leadership. But the through line is always that it's the team effort. And I have to believe that Look, in the day-to-day, -day, life is complicated and things come up and and um, I'm, I'm sure it's it's a hard one to, to tow every day. But when you hear so many successful people say that, you really have to pause and say, okay, yeah. what these people have in common is that they've put their employees and their team on the same level playing field. Yes, you're the founder. Yes, this is your vision. And you have a responsibility to that vision and to see that that comes to fruition. And so your role is very needed to, to push that forward. But, but when you constantly hear people talking about team and the value of team and the value of people seeing their ideas on a shelf, whether it's the color or the name, I don't think we can underestimate the power of that in building, uh, in building a company. It's, it's not just building a solid team, it's building the company. Absolutely, yeah, and you absolutely can't do it alone. There's yeah, no, I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that with us. So what would you say that Entrepreneur has taught you personally uh, about yourself? I gave some thought to this question, and I will say that the one thing and the most interesting thing for me is that I have always had a struggle with the word entrepreneur, and I didn't actually realize until... I've been called an entrepreneur many times that I have a weird, you know, connection or disconnect with that word. Uh, I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. I don't know if it's because of the heavy weight that that word carries with people that don't know the life of an entrepreneur. It sounds yeah. glamorous or um, you sound like you, you know, you may have invented something <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I put somebody on the moon. I don't know what the expectation is of that word, but I will say that I've always had a very discomfort or an uncomfortable discomfort, uncomfortable feeling mm. with it, and that's been like really, you know, amazing for me because I've had to embrace. Well, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. I've always wanted to be a business owner, and so I've always called myself a business owner. I've always wanted to be a woman in business. I, you know, from yeah. a young age, I always wanted to run my own show, do my, I was a hustler. I always was like, if we had 10 more hours here, I could give you my history on, you know, what I did as a young girl to just sort of, you know, I, I feel empowered. I put myself through school. I worked three jobs. I, you know, I did this, I did that. Um, and I right. felt like a, I would be a business owner. I'd run my show one day, maybe because I just didn't have the patience to go, okay, I, I just want to do this myself. 
but I always, 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 always have struggled with the word entrepreneur. And um, I don't know. I wonder, I've, I've, always, I've often wondered, do other people struggle with that word? I asked yes. somebody recently and they said, yes, I do. You know, yeah. so that's what it's taught me. It's taught me that I, I, I don't know why, but I've struggled with that word. And maybe that's because I think there's a lot of responsibility and weight that comes with that word. And there's, I think, some assumptions of what what, what it means. Exactly. Yeah. One of the things that we've tried to do is put that word on this continuum because we realize that for some people, if you're writing a book, if you're starting a nonprofit, if you're if you're creating something that, you know, is belongs in a little mom and pop shop or is starting on some very small platform that's shared with other vendors, you may not feel like you're worthy of that word. And we've tried to say this entrepreneurial spirit is what you all have in common. This I'm going to do something. I'm going to create something. And there there are some tools that they all have in common, whether, again, it's for profit or not for profit. So I hope that in answering the question that you sort of dispelled for yourself, you are absolutely an entrepreneur, absolutely 100%. And you you should wear wear it with pride. So I want to pivot a little bit to just pick your brain about this omni-channel brand that you've created and to help um, our listeners really understand. I think when you said in the beginning that you started out in a kiosk, I think that was that was really um, strategic. And I appreciated you saying that because it helped us to understand, oh, okay, you don't automatically just, I think now the you, you think, well, if I'm not going to be brick and mortar, I should be direct to consumer or I should be wholesaling to other brands, but you have this very interesting strategy of wanting to be close to the consumer, wanting to hear their feedback and doing it at a kiosk. It gave you that foot traffic to do so. But then you also knew that that wasn't the end game, that you knew you wanted to be in these other, these other stores and to distribute. So thank you for that. That gives us a, a good, I think, background. Now, when you look at the landscape and somebody comes to you and says, Demetra, I want to open XYZ. And let's say it's a tactile product, something that consumers can really benefit from feeling, touching, smelling. What do you say to them is the, is the new perhaps way to consider retail or to look at retail? Oh, gee, that's so tough. I, I mean... I think that still the convenience of, you know, obviously being able to shop online. I think that basically from my perspective in an ideal world, it would be great for consumers to connect with the product, you know, in a retail outlet somehow or through word of mouth and then use e-commerce as a replenishment or direct to consumer as a replenishment. So I think that that that's kind of maybe that's that's putting my own personal self as a consumer sure. into this, you know, model. But you know, I, I get it doesn't always work for brands either, right? I mean, it's contrary to what we do. We try to promote online and convert consumers and get you know have them take a chance on our brand. I just think that it's it's just very there's just so much traffic online and there's just yeah. so much noise. And I think that there's something to be said about that experience where you yeah. actually go in a traditional way out of your house, um, vet other brands beside you, which gives you an idea of what you're buying relative to what everything else is, you know? And so I, I think that that's not a bad, you know, a bad 
way of thinking, but I don't know if that really answers your question. I think it does in that you use the word experience. And that's something we keep hearing more and more with brick and mortar that if we, if we get out of our heads, especially those of us who've been around to know, to remember the days when it was only brick and mortar, but if we can get out of our heads a little bit and think of brick and mortar as an experience, right? Like you're experiencing the brand, you're getting to understand why and how the brand works because you're hearing it from somebody who knows the brand and understands the brand. Then I love that you said the replenishment, you know, is what happens online. And so it's like, how do these two things work in concert with one another? How are they sort of this perfect marriage? And I do think a lot of people listening could benefit from that. Like thinking about what does each channel offer you? What is it uniquely created for? And what does it give the consumer that's unique from it, you know, one unique from the other? Um, and, and it, it seems like goal because we can say that we'll be done with retail forever. But what does that mean for our world? Are we not going to get out? Are we not yeah. going to leave our homes? Are we not going to experience? Um, you know, I, I, when I think about it, even as a mother, I think personally myself, my daughter, she loves the experience of shopping. You know, yeah. and she loves to be able to touch and feel her, you know stuff. And and there's a lot more socially, you know, involved in in possibly you know shopping, going out with her friends. And and yet, then when she likes them, or just an experience, like really getting to know a brand or the brands that are out there, and then being able to also have the luxury of if you're not able to do that do online. Is that, yeah. does that mean a replenishment? Does that mean taking a chance on something? Cause now you've had some type of experience with it so that you could use another product or now, you know, what kind of running shoes you want? Cause you've seen the others in person. Yeah. I don't know, but I think that there will have to be a good balance of somehow sort of marrying those two. I hope so, because I know that one is for me, what fuels the other. Um, yeah. for me yeah. to be able to get out and engage you don't want to go and out shopping. Exactly. Yeah. And other yeah. times you, the experience is something you want to do. You know, you want to go out and you want to see what's out there and touch and feel and look at around. And like I said, for me, retail shopping isn't only about that brand that you're looking for. It is, it's about that comparison, you know, sure. in reality. And so I think there's something to be said about that. You can't do that the same way online. Would you say you because you said the comparison thing a couple times? Would you say that retail also helps to, and it can diminish a brand too, but it can help to elevate a brand? So who you're on a shelf with that might be better known? Oh yeah. Um, would you say that? Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and choosing. I think one of the questions that I you know was thinking about earlier, choosing where you want to be. Like we, you know, again, we talk about that kiosk. Um, choosing your retail outlet, that's a big deal, you know, and knowing that your consumer is going to shop there, you better know where you are. And so if you're there, you know, and I would hope that you've chosen that as much as the retailer has chosen, retailer has chosen you. Right. And there, there's a reason for that, because there is a vetting process both ways, right? You've vetted, is that the right shelf space for me? Am I in like, you know, the company of like brands, it, you know, is this going to be good exposure for my baby on that shelf? And likewise, you know, buyers, they spend a lot of time and research and energy and effort deciding what's going to be merchandised. And so there is a, a happy marriage between what the brand's needs are, as well as what the retailer's needs are. And there's a lot of thought that goes behind it. But consumers 
innately know that, you know, I don't know why or how, but there is, like I said, a perception of credibility for your brand when you're on a shelf and when you're in the right place for your brand. It feels a little bit too like, well, if those people have vetted you, then surely I can buy you versus when you're on the World yeah. Wide Web, it's like, I don't know, is this even real, right? Yeah. I, there, there's still, and may, this may have more to do with my age than anything, but so, it does feel like you want that credibility. You want somebody else to have bought in. Right, yeah. you've embedded, and as opposed to being fed a promise by a brand. You know, there's, I, I also notice this with my brand a lot. Um, yeah. When we speak about the brand, a consumer is suspicious. When a consumer speaks about our brand, yes then the consumer's not suspicious, um, which is quite interesting because, you know, we would know more about our brand than consumers, sure. but that's just our world. So there sure. is that element of if I have made it on a shelf, the consumer assumes that I have that credibility because somebody else, so maybe not their friend on TikTok or Instagram or their friend in real life, but somebody at this big retail chain has vetted this brand and made it relevant. And so there's always that, you know, that reassurance for consumers that obviously somebody else bought into this. You just said TikTok and we were talking um, before about TikTok and you guys have, I mean, social media is an important part of what you're doing to drive both sales to your site, but also to other retail outlets. What have you found to be, because you are such a tactile product, what have you found to be um, a surprise or even just an important strategy in your social media? Oh my goodness. Recently, this is a really good one. So recently, you know, we obviously support and we spend a lot of time looking at the science of our products and the messaging, the communication, photography, videos, uh, you know, consumers. But recently, a very a consumer. So this is not an influencer, which is a little bit different. Um, yeah. and, and maybe she's a, a micro influencer, but this, this person had maybe 600 followers. Um, and we have had the luxury because we started 11 years ago of having really good relations with most really good, um, or so knowledgeable rather, uh, beauty influencers around the world. So this person decided to pick up one of our products called Synoxin. She saw an ad that we were running. There is a uh, an active ingredient in this product um, that mimics snail venom toxin. So it's uh-huh. sort of like a Botox. We call that in a bottle. Okay. And I hope I don't get in trouble for saying that. But we do. We say it's like Botox in a bottle. And so this consumer, basically 600 you know followers, said, "Hey, you know, I'm at the drugstore and I want to give this you know brand a try because I've seen this ad." And lo and behold, her. <laughs> Her video went viral. She, you know, really moved what we call moved the needle for us. Yeah. And that wasn't somebody that we found. They sort of found us. Well, maybe we found them in a digital. We must have served them in a digital ad regardless. At some point. Yeah. You know, at some point. But, you know, we haven't had that kind of traction from some of the biggest names, beauty yes. influencers in the industry. And so it just tells you the power of, and again, that was a you know perfect storm. It was a yeah. combination of really good advertising from us, some really great organic coverage, and then this amazing vehicle called TikTok, which picked up an algorithm and pushed it out. 
But regardless, whatever she said to consumers, and there was a lot of questions of, did it work? Can you give us some feedback? She had to do a second, you know, education around, or sorry, a a review of it, uh, which was great. But that teaches me so much about our business. So much. You know, there's yeah, something and you can do, and other times there's things that you, you they just do. You don't. They do. just happen. You know, yeah. they just happen. I think there is though a lesson in the those micro influencers and people who it really is about that engagement. It really is about who who are they trusting? Who is you know her her followers are really trusting her? They don't think she's in the beauty. Yeah selling business, no. so to speak. And, yeah, and, so. And, 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 and it's not, it wasn't even just about the fact that she's a micro-influence because we all, obviously we know that part of her business. It was the fact that she had this vehicle now. She had this opportunity to yeah. create a video, a very organic video that was not curated. It was literally on her smartphone in a store picking up a product, which gave the consumer the visual that we talk about being on shelf. So yeah. right away the consumer was like, oh, they're on shelf. At this, she told them what store she was at. She's at the store. She's telling them she's on, it's on the shelf. She's picking it up. So there's an action, you know? So yeah. anyway, there was a lot more variables other than, but it just shows the power of these variables for consumer or for brands to understand. Is that easy to get all the time? No. Cause you're like, how do you do that? But yeah. it really is. It shows that, you know, that the world that we live in is very different than the one that we launched in 11 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And, and kudos to you for being able to navigate that because a lot of people could be like, I don't know. I don't know this new world. What we created was, you know, was created for this mechanism or this model. So there's that, that nimbleness being needed again. Um, What would you say to a new brand who's trying to launch today, uh, given the, the new landscape, the call it the post-COVID landscape, call it the landscape of retail that has been evolving even prior to COVID. What would you say to them that they would need to consider? Like before you do this in retail in particular, consider this, what would you, what would you say? Yeah. I think that really understanding your brand and really nailing the DNA of your brand. What is that voice? What is that tone? What's the persona? What is the possible? What is this that you're going to create in you know your branding that is going to be the guidelines that you're not going to veer from? Because whatever you do from there, as you scale up and you grow, everybody that you bring in and everybody that's going to help you relay the message of your brand must buy into the ethos of the brand. So that is an investment that has to happen. You know, and I think a lot of brands don't realize that that is so important. Um, so, you know, that's something that you need to start off with um, having, you know, so that you have your fonts, your tone, your voice, who's your sure. customer going to look like, what are the things that your brand says and doesn't say so that yeah. everybody that follows as your company grows, you hand them a brand book when they walk in and say, this is our brand. If you're going to rep- represent our brand or create for our brand or speak on behalf of our brand, whether it's customer service, whether you're writing copy for a daily Instagram post, whether you're doing an e-blast, whether you're doing a PR event, whether you're speaking, whether Demetra's speaking or you're speaking on behalf of the brand, this is the way the brand speaks. This is the way the brand is. It's like your best friend, you know, who wears her hair blonde all the time and, you know, dyes her hair purple one day and you go, whoa, what's happened to Demetra? Yeah. 
you know? And so that's really, really important. The other thing, obviously I've talked about it over and over again is understanding the consumer and then understanding how you're going to reach that consumer, whatever that is, whether that's brick and mortar, whether you're going to start in a kiosk, whether you're going to sell on the street, whether you're going to do direct to consumer, you know, a small retail store, you know, whether you're going to have parties at home, it doesn't matter. You need to know who your consumer is and how you're going to sell to them. How long should they stick with the how you're going to sell to them before they realize this isn't working? Six months, a year? Oh, you will know as you go along. There is no magic model. Like you have to be in tune with your business always. You know, having the financial acumen and the understanding, you know, I've had the luxury of that's my background. So that is really beneficial in business. I also didn't realize that, you know, numerical literacy is so important. And if yeah. you can't and don't know how to do that and you're investing a lot, you should find the person that you can trust yes. that has that Amen. numerical literacy. Because yes. if you can't pick up a trend just by looking at a, you know, a spreadsheet, and pick, if that number doesn't jump out at you, I always thought that that was something inherent. And I realized in my business that it's not. When I, when I send back you know, a spreadsheet or, you know, an email or a call to somebody on a, you know, something on a meeting that how on top of it I am, I didn't realize, I did not know that not everybody, you know, people are highly creative as entrepreneurs. So they might not have that, you know, numerical literacy that you need in order to understand the running of your business. So I can't tell you, you know, in three months, you'll be able, you're going to scale up and then you're going to jump from the kiosk to retail the numbers will tell you that and the trends will tell you that. So if you can't be that person that can watch the numbers, know the trends and forecast where you're going, you better have a good person in, in place in your te- on your team that can actually do that for you. Agreed. And we've said constantly on the podcast, like it's your responsibility to find that person, but it's still at the end of the day, it's your business. Your business 100%. is your business. And so... Um, Thanks for validating that. So as a seasoned entrepreneur, and we are going to use that word because you're embracing it. <laughs> Not um, a business person. <laughs> no, no, no. You're all of those okay. things. But what regular habits do you think that you've sort of done on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis, um, pick one of those, that have really led to your success? I prioritize a few things in my life and I won't go into all of them, but I will say that the only one that takes precedent over all of my other priorities, including family, the business, you know, whatever else, my kids or my parents is my own physical, emotional and mental health. So I prioritize that always every single day because without me being healthy and sharp minded and feeling strong, I can't lead my team and I can't take care of anybody. So I do shut out um, as much as I can in the morning, starting off with the meditation, starting off with my thankfulness, thanking, you know, counting my blessings, uh, you know, manifesting whatever else you want to call it, putting whatever mm-hmm. energy out into the universe. You know, there's so many things that are yeah. circulating now all over social media, but basically in a nutshell, my priority to take care of myself so that I could properly lead my team uh, is something that I wake up with and I lead with every morning. So whether I start off with a meditation or whether that's a workout, you know, a regrouping in my mind, a, you know, an understanding of what my day is going to play out like. Like it doesn't always plan, you know, happen the way I planned it, but a clear vision, but that doesn't start until I clear my head. Mm, that's an important one. And one that I think we can easily take for granted. So thank you yeah. for that. 
So before I let you go, we have something called our fast five. So I'm going to ask you five questions and just answer whatever comes to mind. So what would you say is the number one trait an entrepreneur must possess? That's the only one. <laughs> I know there are, it's true, right? There are I think so you many. Have to be a risk taker. I'm just going to go with risk taker. Yeah, I th- absolutely. That's true. And then is there an app that you use for your business that helps you stay organized, that helps you communicate anything that you use on a regular basis that you'd like to let us know about? Not particularly. I use a, a bunch of different apps. I mean, for our business, we really need to stay on social media all the time, but that's not, a, you know, an organization uh, app or platform, but not any one thing in particular. No, not really. I, but I'm just lucky because I can actually carry a lot in my head and, and other people can't do that. So I, you, you might want to ask somebody else that question. I'm not the <laughs> person to ask that question. <laughs> do you carry around a, a notepad with a, a yes. pen or a pen? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I was I just wanting that. to know in where fact, that all actually, should... You know, what's really funny. I actually yeah. prop up my computer with it. And, and uh-huh. many, many times. Okay. So that's a good one. I have a paper, and a, a, you know, a, a notebook and a, and a pen. And my Indeed pen, see, it's right here, my Indeed nice, pen. Nice. But I lose it underneath my computer all the time. And then I run around going, somebody took Where? my notebook. Oh my God. <laughs> so maybe an app that reminds you that the notebook is under the computer. That's what we need. Um, and then what um, was the first, as soon as you had a little bit of money with Indeed, what was the first role that you hired for? Outside of the like daily operations that we needed to have right from the beginning, uh, some of the luxuries that we have are like in, in like we brought a lot of um, a lot of responsibilities in house. Like my creative team, uh, yeah. copywriters, uh, PR coordinators. We do like a lot of our own in house PR, community wow. management. Like so, it's because of the nature of our business. A lot of those resources that are you know you're able to get externally. You know, again, I, I just want to highlight the fact that protecting the voice of the brand and the tone of the brand and the look and the feel of the brand is important. And those elements, once you have a little bit of money, if you can bring those in internally and have somebody that's really strong, uh, then you have a lot more opportunity to reach the consumer with a very consistent, um, you know, brand message and voice. I, I think, yes, if you can do that, I think it's important. And I love how often you've brought up the brand because I do think it's very important, whether it was your Tiffany days or your time at Indeed, you've definitely learned that lesson. I say that this is the hardest question, but do you prefer sweet or salty snacks? Huh. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with salty. Okay, good. Okay. I'm going to see if there's a through line with salty. So far, salty snacks are the the, the winning the choice. For it. So we're, we're going to see if we can assign that to all female entrepreneurs. I don't know yet. And then, you know, our podcast is called Liberty for Her. And our mission is to liberate women through these stories so that they can find their own story and their own voice and liberate their own dreams. What does it mean for you, Demetra, when I say liberty or liberated? For me, it means not holding yourself back with that, you know, inner insecure voice that we all have. I mean, I'm just going to be so honest because, you know, I do make everything look like it's easy and I do make, and, but we all have our insecurities and there are many, many, many days that I've also questioned. We've talked about it, you know, a minute ago, we were talking about entrepreneurship and what it means to me, you know, silencing that voice that is so crippling that we all have and knowing that our, you know, our day-to-day lives are 
a lot of our decisions are, you know, our actions are guided by things that we're not in our conscious mind, you know, like those are, that's baggage that we carry for forever uh, the way that we're programmed. So as a female entrepreneur, liberating yourself is acknowledging, you know, why that voice is there, you know, why it, you know, it sometimes holds you back and being able to say, okay, I hear you. I know this is me. And, you know, if, if the risk is important enough, you know, just kind of silencing it to be able to live out your dream and and your goal. Yeah. Amen to all of that. Thank you. Thanks for sharing with us, taking the time to walk us through your own journey and how you've navigated uh, different decisions that you've made along the way. Before I let you go, I want you to just let us know how we can connect with Indeed Labs, the product, what stores might it be in? And of course, we can have this um, in the show notes, Liberty listeners, so you don't have to pull over if you're driving. So in the U.S., stay tuned. We are in discussions with some really big retail chains, uh, should be in the next year or so. Uh, But we are on Ulta. Uh, If you'd like to shop at Ulta, um, online with Ulta, we we also sell direct to consumer with IndeedLabs.com. And we are also on Amazon. So those are the three uh, major ways that you can purchase our products in the U.S. right now. Awesome. And I would also say check out their Instagram because you can learn a lot about the various products. um, We'd love educating. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys do a great job of it. Thank you. It was so fun to spend this time with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and to our listeners. We so appreciate it. And Liberty listeners, again, everything will be in the show notes for you, including um, a link to Amazon, Ulta, and Indeed Labs. Go there. That's that's fun. Just go in and have an Indeed Labs uh um, afternoon and check out all the products. What's your number one product that you love using for yourself? For myself? Um, yeah. I love our hydrolyron serum. It's a low molecular okay. weight hyaluronic acid. And I just feel like because it actually penetrates lower, uh, deeper into the layers of your skin, I feel it gives me like an instant plumping effect. Um, but there are, I mean, they're all my there's, there's uh, today I'm wearing our bronzer, our retinol is one of our number one selling products, uh, worldwide. And so I can't, I can't choose. I don't know, but the hyaluronic acid is one that I, I have to live with. Okay. I had to, I had to get one out of you. I had to get one, one recommendation. Yeah. So that well, the we fact that it comes out so quickly like that all the time is a, is, you know, is a, is a big deal. So I, yes, exactly. it, it, it absolutely is. Thanks again, Demetra and Liberty listeners. Thank you for taking time to listen to Demetra's story and of course, to consider your own possibilities. Until next week, bye. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham, and music by Jordan Flowers.